All right, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for giving us a unity that we can cling to as members of the said family. Father, thank you for your faithfulness as it is renewed each and every morning. It reminds us of just how much you love us. What a beautiful thing that is to behold. Father, we pray for the sick in the congregation that they might join us sometime soon. Your will be done, of course. And we pray for those still lost in this world without hope that you humble them in whatever way necessary to bring them to your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for him and his work on the cross to make a morning like this a reality for us to enjoy. Father, we just pray for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we closed out a what we would call maybe a minor theme on Thursday. That is encouragement. Uh, I'm not surprised given the pervasiveness of sin and the deceitfulness of it. Uh, we need to be here for each other. We need to be there um, figuratively speaking, either, even uh, for each other. And so we've got this um, encouragement from the Holy Spirit this past week. Um, always think of both sides of your relationships. Always think of both sides, not just what someone can give you, but also what someone needs from you. We tend to be very good receivers, not always uh, givers. And so uh, encouragement always goes in both directions, that you might be the encouraging factor for someone else. And we have to think that way. Uh, that actually should be, if you really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, living for others, that should be our first thought. Is encouragement, on the topic of encouragement, is how we might encourage others in the faith. And so always think of both sides of your relationships. Romans 1, 12, part B in the NLV reads, we need each other. And that's a fact. We need each other. As I wrote in this week's blog, which is titled Short-Wicked Firecrackers, it is wise to set up a lifestyle that builds real momentum away from the temptation and towards Jesus Christ. Away from the temptation and towards Jesus Christ, our lifestyles, not playing with fire, not even lighting the wick and then thinking you can somehow throw it away in time because chances are you're going to get burned or you're gonna, it's going to explode in your hand and there's going to be all kinds of pain. And as the blog articulated, there's always a ripple effect. And so it's best not to play with fire, not to play with firecrackers, especially not the short-wicked ones, um, the ones that are sure to blow up in our faces. And so that's been uh, some encouragement from me to you up here on the board. Additional encouragement uh, from me to you uh, is that we need to recognize the pitfalls and the temptations in our lives even before they materialize into real threats to our peace. We need to recognize the pitfalls and the temptations in our lives even before they materialize into real threats to our peace. That means uh, the Bible teaches us that it's wise to look out in front. It's wise to look at uh, things coming down the pike in your life. It's wise to see the writing on the wall, so to speak. Understand that every time you're in a certain situation, you've fallen. So why not avoid it before it's even close? Why even bother uh, with that exercise? And that's the whole point. Uh, and that's my encouragement to you, is to gain some, some foresight, might be the best word, some foresight in your own life. Paul wrote verbosely about the pitfalls we all face, so do not be overwhelmed either. 
Some of you are like, well, it's really hard. I'm, you know, that's a habit of mine. I've got an addiction. Uh, I've got this. I've got that. I understand. Paul understood as well. Uh, let's grab some encouragement. Go to Romans 7, verse 14. Romans 7, 14. So my encouragement is be wise about your own life. Most of you are on in your age. Um, not many excuses left about, you know, uh, you know, first time, shame on you, second time, shame on me type stuff. There's no more excuses. Most of you have been down the roads that you're thinking about right now several times in your life. And so it's not rocket science. But even so, let's not be completely exacerbated or completely discouraged. So here's some encouragement from the majority writer of the New Testament, Paul. Romans 7.14 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Again, when we read those kinds of passages, we ought to be encouraged. So while realizing the playing field that we're on, we mustn't become overwhelmed. That's just life. We have this body, as um, Paul would say, this body of this death uh, to deal with, and it's uh, sinful. And that's the playing field. So we cannot be overwhelmed with the fact that we still sin. Up here on the board, Paul wrote this as well. I'll give you this in the message. Uh, Philippians 3, 13 to 14 I'm not saying that I have all this together or this all together that I have made, I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. And again, that's just more encouragement from Paul that we're going to fail. But look at his attitude in Philippians 3, 13 to 14. He says, I'm just going to forget what lies behind. I'm going to press on. I can't change yesterday. Yes, I did fail. I can either be completely condemned and overwhelmed by the fact that I'm going to fail every single day of my life, or I can press on with my eyes uh, squarely faced or directed towards Jesus Christ. So much of our success in the spiritual life, as we've been learning in this very long series now, is about where our eyes are. Keeping our eyes from diverting away from Jesus Christ. Let Him deal with the other stuff. You stay focused on Him and you'll be fine. Let Him deal with everything else. The truth is, there are going to be times in your spiritual education and maturation that you will feel like you've bitten off more than you can chew, for lack of a better way of stating it. 
There are going to be times where you feel like you've bitten off more than you can chew. You may come out of a message like this even and be like, geez, I don't, I can't, I'm not going to make that. I don't see how I'm ever going to be that way, how I will ever be able to relate to someone as great as the Apostle Paul or Peter or John or any of these guys. Um, and you may feel overwhelmed. Don't let that happen. Just keep on pressing on. Learn to step back and accept that you don't understand everything there is to understand, at least not yet, and accept by faith that God has everything under control. God has everything under control. Now, as a side note, obviously, every time I say something like that, there's a disclaimer. Do not, of course, uh, throw caution into the wind. You can make that mistake as well. Say, well, I'm not going to be overwhelmed. God's got everything under control. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. And when he forces me to change by his heavy hand, that's when I'll change. In other words, there's no, there's no pull. It's all push. There's no pull. It's all, you know, a uh, kick in the behind. That's no way to live either. Go to Matthew 4, 7. Matthew 4, 7. So you can't become complacent either. Matthew 4, verse 7. Again, this is just a balanced statement. Jesus said to the devil, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord God, your God to the test. I think some people need to realize this. That just because God's got everything under control, and just because, as I've taught in the past, if, you're not gonna, if, if God doesn't want you to die, you're not going to die. That doesn't mean that you can put him to the test. It doesn't mean you can go, you know, driving your motorcycle down the street, standing on your handlebars, expecting absolutely nothing to happen. That's not our, the right attitude either. And so we don't, just because God's got everything under control, including the number of days in your life, doesn't mean we're able to um, throw caution into the wind that way. It says in Scripture, Jesus Christ quotes it here, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So let's measure this against another verse. I'll give you something to synthesize up here on the board. The message version of Matthew 4, 7, which reads, Jesus counted with another citation from Deuteronomy, don't you dare test the Lord your God. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. Galatians 6, 7, synthesize it with this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Do not dare test the Lord your God. May this be a warning against throwing caution into the wind. So the Bible never says that um, your life will be completely void of something like fear. In other words, fear is good, but it has to be proper. Let me, we're going to develop this a little bit. Um, you shouldn't be fearless, in other words. So the Bible never says that your life ought to be completely void of fear. In fact, the Bible speaks with implicit authority on the fundamental premise of the fear of the Lord. What did we just read? What's on the board? What's the first... The last part of that first verse. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. God is not mocked. So, yeah, you should be afraid. Not afraid of mere man, because what can mere man do to you, but of God. And so, the Bible speaks with implicit authority on the fundamental premise of the fear of the Lord. So, here's our first real big topic this morning. There's a difference between the fear the human flesh abides in by nature. You know, uh, if you've been around unbelievers, they're afraid of pretty much everything. Um, even in their bravado, that's just a show or a, um, yeah, it's a show, a facade. Uh, but behind it all, they're actually afraid. They actually live in fear, which is why they are exhausted most days trying to 
race ahead and beat their neighbors to this and beat their neighbors to that because, you know, there's not enough food to go around anymore. There's 8 billion people or whatever. There's not enough money to go around. I got to get mine while I can. There's not enough this and, you know, my neighbor's going to kill me. And if I watch the news too long, the sky is falling and everybody lives in fear. And that's how the God of this world controls people. And we're not under that bondage, or we shouldn't be. So there's a difference between the fear the human flesh abides in by nature and the fear of the Lord. Go to Proverbs 14.26. Proverbs 14.26. We know that that fleshly fear, the one that's natural, uh, really produces death, uh, really produces ungodly fruit, uh, robs you of any conviction or even confidence in this life. So most people live in uh, with, uh, you know, self what the psychologists would call self-esteem issues. Why? Because they're still in the flesh. Proverbs 14.26 says something very different, though, doesn't it? In the fear of the Lord, think of in the sphere of. In, the, in that sphere we always talk about. Abiding in Him, in the sphere of, in the fear of the Lord, there is what? Strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. That's literally the exact opposite of what the Spirit just described that is in the world. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You see, fear... Ungodly fear brings death, punishment even, as we'll see later on. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, though, that one may avoid the snares of death. Again, there is a difference between the fear the human flesh abides in by nature and the fear of the Lord. Go to Revelation 15, verse 3. Revelation 15, verse 3. more on what the fear of the Lord actually looks like. Revelation 15, verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Again, thinking about this on the topic of fear, on the righteous act of the fear of the Lord, one of the Kingdom of Darkness's favorite strategies is to use fear. Why? Because it erodes your confidence. Didn't we just see that fear? In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Well, one of the ways to undermine that confidence that you have is to strike fear in your heart somehow. How does that happen? It usually happens, if you really want to be strict about it, it always happens on the coattails of misinformation. Because if you had perfect information about God, you'd never fear for anything. Amen? Because you'd just be totally confident. Whatever your will is, thy will be done. We don't have that, though. We're, we're flawed. And so anytime this kind of fear seeps in, it's misinformation of some sort. But nonetheless, one of the, one of the kingdom of darkness's favorite strategies is to use fear because you can control people with fear. It's usually the easiest way to control someone. If you don't do this, <gasps> if you don't do that, <gasps> it, it drives me bonkers. One, another reason I don't watch television is because um, commercial entities are always trying to scare old people. They're always trying to scare old people. And they're just a bunch of, a bunch of shysters selling them things they don't need, uh, lying to them about uh, monsters and boogeymen in this world that are going to 
you know, rob them of their this or that or the other. And they scare the tar out of everyone. They take advantage of old people. And it's disgusting. But that's how you control people. And if you're after someone, uh, someone's money or, some, or whatever the prize might be in the perverted eyes, um, that's how you control people. You scare them. And that's how Satan controls people in general. He scares them. But you know what? It is a misplaced fear, as we've learned recently with the likes of, up here on the board, Psalm 56, verse 4. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? If, I have, if my complete confidence is in the Lord, in the fear of the Lord I have strong confidence, if, I, if that defines who I am, then what, what can mere man do to me? I've got God. The Spirit also mentioned other forms of fear um, that some of us, many of us, suffer from. For example, financial anxiety is a big one in our culture. If you don't do this, uh, you don't measure up. If you don't do that, you're going to be broke. If you don't do this, you're going to be you know, starving on the street. If you don't do that, there are other things that people are afraid of, like personal safety, just what I talked about. Personal safety. Uh, scaring people into buying products that they don't really need. I'm not saying every product that's sold is bad or not you know, a good thing. I'm just saying, look at the culture that we live in. It's a fear-based culture. It's, it's never good news. It's always bad news. Bad news always has a ripple effect. It scares people. It's never. It's always fear, if you notice. Look around. Uh, fear of what? Even social issues. Currency is one thing, but how about the fact that if you don't do this thing, people are going to think you're ugly. If you don't, you know, whatever. I don't know. What do, what do people do nowadays? Dye their hair? I don't know. Uh, put makeup on or, or, you know, go to the gym or uh, drive the right kind of vehicle or have the right kind of job, or whatever. You, if you don't do those things, um, you're not going to measure up. And people are afraid of that because the value system has been perverted. Who cares if I measure up to you? I don't get measured by you anyways. The Lord is the one who judges me. That's Scripture. But we forget about it. And we open up a Cosmopolitan magazine and go, oh, I should listen to a Cindy Crawford. You know, some six-foot-tall toothpick in a bathing suit. Yeah, she sounds like just the right person to give me advice over the Holy Bible. <laughs> right? Or some, some dude that looks semi-female on the cover of GQ magazine. You know, completely waxed and perfectly tan and like a 12-pack and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to listen to your advice, dude, over the, the Holy God of the universe. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel bad about myself because I don't have a 12-pack. That sounds like a, a wonderful way to set yourself right back into bondage. But people are afraid of it. Oh, no, what if my girlfriend sees this thing? If you shouldn't have a stinking girlfriend. What if my girlfriend sees this cover of this magazine and then she looks at me and goes, I'm not going to measure up. How about death? A lot of people fear death more than anything in this world. Part of me can't wait. Part of me is jealous when people pass away, especially in the Lord, obviously. Death, bring it on. Not before it's time, not before i got to finish my work here. Your will be done, of course, Lord. But bring it on. Not in the world. Everybody's afraid of death. Everybody's trying to propagate it. Everybody wants to live till they're 120. Why? I don't know. Because at that point, you can barely move. But if that's all you've got, we fear death, it seems, as much as anything in this world. And yet, the Bible is profuse in its encouragement regarding God's divine promise, uh, providence up here on the board. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 in the Amplified Classic for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord, 
thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. Because that's what matters. Our eyes is on the prize. The upward call of Christ Jesus. Our eyes should be on the things in heaven, not on earth. Think about the only fear we ought to have. And that is the fear of God. And I want to put, give this a little bit more context. And don't miss the fact that we're, we're arriving at all of this at the tail end of this series titled The Deceitfulness of Sin. Because sin's going to turn things around and get you to think that you should be afraid of some of those other things, personal safety, finances, you know, food, how, how well you're liked or whatever. The only real fear we ought to have is the fear of God. I want, you to give you, I want to give you some perspective on this up here on the board. Think of it this way. God has never failed. God has never failed. All right. Imagine for a moment that you are God's opposition. You know you will fail because he stands undefeated for all of eternity. Now imagine that you are on his team with the same level of confidence you know you will succeed. That's the essence of the fear of the Lord. That really is the essence of the fear of the Lord. God has never failed. If he wants something done, you know what happens? It gets done. If you're against him, you get defeated. Well, that strikes up fear. If you're with him, that same level of confidence says that you will succeed. That is a form of fear. You might consider it on the, on the, um, the edge of respect. That's where we get fear and respect almost interchangeably in the Bible. It's because it's that same issue. It's that right there. It, it's the double edge. It cuts in both directions. If you're against him, you're losing. If you're with him, you succeed. That and both of those truths comprise the fear of the Lord. So that's the essence of the fear of the Lord. And it is directly related to God's integrity. Since God has never failed, we ought to fear his will. Fear, respect, the embodiment of the point on the board. Since God has never failed, we ought to fear His will. Let's look at what fear looks like through the eyes of the Apostle John when he was given the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just want to sit back and read this with you because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So many people go to the book of Revelation, and all they think about is, oh, Armageddon, you know, and oh, fire and brimstone, he's going to, you know, he's going to wipe people out, and it's going to be the trip, and all this other stuff, and it's, it's always this chaotic scene. No, it's not. Not in my eyes. I mean, those things are detailed in there, but in my eyes, this is what the Bible says it is. The revelation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's a revelation of Him. Oh yeah, when he comes back, he's going to, you know, take names, kick behinds and take names. That's not the point, though. That's what the, per the perverts care about. That's what the, 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 the morbid curiosity of the human flesh goes to Revelation for. That's why, they, you know, people stay up late and listen to those weird preachers. The ones like, you know, they have like fire in their hair and stuff. Burn! You're all going to burn! You know, you know what I'm talking about? Right? And people are like, oh, this guy's awesome! And it's like 2 in the morning, they're watching some crazy guy talk about Armageddon. It's like, no, that's not the purpose of the book of Revelation. It's, finish the sentence. It's the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelation is about. You know, people in their morbid curiosity uh, like to, you know, wander off in their thoughts and get crazy. But go to Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. So just sit back, we're going to... We're going to read this thing. We're going to think about what John was thinking about when he had been called to write this incredible book. And think about his fear, his healthy respect for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to think about here. And you'll get a better idea of the fear of the Lord. When we talk about the fear of the Lord in the Bible, you can almost sense it through the writing of John here. Revelation 1.1 
Oh, there it is. Imagine that. The first sentence. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of Armageddon. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion <coughs> forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, <clears throat> and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Quote, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write a book, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Think about that. Everybody's so afraid of death. Who has the keys to death and Hades? Jesus Christ does. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the first and the last. You've got nothing to worry about. That's the root of this. The fact that God has never failed. That's the root of fear of the Lord. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the victor. Don't worry. I have the keys to death. I am life. What do you fear? What are you worried about, oh, American citizen? That your, what, your hair's not blonde enough? You're not tall enough? You're not smart enough? You're not rich enough? What is it that you're worried about? Hmm. When you focus on those things, everything else goes out the window. And so I was thinking about you know, the only society I've really ever known, which is America. And one of the hallmarks of our society today is a lack of a healthy fear of the Lord God. That's pretty much it. You look around, it's just nobody has a fear even of God anymore. It's incredible. In fact, if you look at it, 
Uh, it's like watching a baby test its parents. You ever watch that? It's cute when it's a baby, but it's, it's tragic when it's a whole society. But, you know, like a baby will be standing there, you know, like a one-year-old, and, you know, the, the parent will say, don't touch that. And they'll be like, right? Don't you touch that. Right? That's what babies do. What do you think America's doing right now? It's like watching a baby test its parents. Our society is becoming bolder and bolder and will continue to do so until the holy, sovereign God of the universe decides to respond in a different way. In any case, Revelation 1 is a great place to see the practical side of godly fear. Why has the fear of the Lord come up at the close of this series? Well, let's allow the Bible to educate us once again. Go to Romans 1.16. Why is this the fear of the Lord coming up at the close of this very long series on the deceitfulness of sin? Because it's a primitive that's what I would argue. It's a primitive. So, we might find some answers here. Why is this coming up at the end of this series? Romans 1.16. Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Okay. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Now think of verse 16 and 17 as the good side, the respectful side of the fear of the Lord. That's that side of it. The other side is the, is the judgmental, if you were, the, the, the harsh side. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God... And people really should be afraid of this, but they're not. That's the whole point, because they have no fear of God anymore. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Sounds like most, what, scientists nowadays? Most, I don't know, educators even nowadays, most intellects in our society profess, that's where we get the word professor, right? Profess to be what? Wise. Profess to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things, those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. This is what happens when you have no respect or fear of the Lord. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's why. Because that whole group of people is deceived into thinking they can mock God, that they can dismiss their own Creator, even though the Bible says they know better. So therefore they are without excuse. That's why I love that about God. He says, I will never send anyone to the lake of fire that's ignorant of me in the gospel. That would make me unjust. That helps me sleep at night. This is why the fear of the Lord has come up at the close of this series. It's because there's a massive wave of disrespect and lack of fear that is America today. And the warning is that none of us get swept away with it, lest we become ensnared by the schemes of the devil. Remember, sin in humanity is as old as our history, less the first two humans before the fall, of course, but sin for the most part, for all practical purposes, is as old as human history. And from day one, it has been crouching at the door. That's what we learn in Genesis 4-7. Sin has been crouching at the door. I was doing some reading this morning, and the same topic came up in my soul up here on the board. What's the goal of sin? Deceit always results in poor perspective. Nothing more effective uh, in our lives than poor perspective and getting us away from the joy that is ours, the peace that is ours, the peace that Jesus Christ has given us, has chosen to give us. Nothing is more destructive than poor perspective. And it usually only takes one little thing. We, we momentarily grab onto a lie, and we're deceived for, for a moment, and we lose our perspective, and when that happens, we lose, we lose our joy. We lose our peace. We lose that. We, eject, we are ejected experientially from that sphere. One of the ways to do that is to lose fear of God. To think for a moment with our arrogance and audacity that we can mock God and get away with it. Deceit always results in poor perspective. Poor perspective guarantees misguided responses to the stimuli of life because if you're over here and you're supposed to be over here, when something comes at you, it's coming at you from your left rather than your right, correct? Totally different perspective. Maybe you got poor eyesight in your left eye. I don't know. But that's the point. Bad habits form and momentum is gained. In other words, if you keep on going in that direction... Momentum, you end up building momentum, and Satan is cheering along the way. So, I ask you, look in the mirror now. Don't look at me. Don't think of somebody else like a lot of you do. Look in the mirror. By your actions, some of you must think that you are immune to such things. By your actions. Some of you must think that you are immune to such things or somehow impervious to the wiles of sin. If not, then why in the world do you keep on returning to your own vomit? Why in the world do you keep on returning to your own vomit? Without any judgment at all in my voice, I'd like to share something with you this morning, something that, as your shepherd, I am forced to behold. Oftentimes, I'm held hostage to it against my desire, in a sense. I'm saddened by the fact that so many of you continue on a road that rejects the counsel of the Lord and ends in self-induced misery. 
Go to Proverbs 26, verse 1. Proverbs 26, verse 1. Proverbs 26, verse 1. I'm just going to read this with you. It'll come to a crescendo, and I'll make my point. Proverbs 26, verse 1. Like snow in summer and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the back of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he not be wise in his own eyes. He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sends a message by the hand of a fool. Like the legs which are useless to the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool, or hires those who pass by. And here it is, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. So you think you're wise, huh? You think you're wiser than your Creator, huh? You think you can mock God, do you? You think you can continue on in your sin and gain momentum over time, and somehow, someway, you're going to escape the wrath of God. Is this what we think? Is this the impetus behind our arrogance? Again, without a bit of judgment or condemnation in my heart, this is what it often looks like from my position here. It's incredible to see the level of self-induced misery that I see just in this congregation alone. And by the way, I see it in the mirror too. So I'm not being aloof, just transparent, because this stuff breaks my heart. I hate sin. I hate it. So bad. I can't stand it. It drives me berserk. The fact that it's in this world, I hate it so bad, I cannot wait until heaven. You have it in you, I have it in me. I just hate it. I just hate it. And from my perspective, my vantage point, it sucks, because I have to see it play out in you, after I've taught you better. After I've taught you better. And it still plays out in you. And it still ruins your joy and robs you of your peace. And some of you weep and, and cry and, and, and are depressed as a result. And I just say to myself, well, if you just listened to the Spirit, you wouldn't have that problem. So it's real difficult sometimes We've been given everything, but we receive so little, it seems. Does that make sense? We, we don't receive it as, as far as it depends on us. He gives us everything. He gives us access to everything, and we decide not to receive it. We receive so little. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.4. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I started reading... 1 Corinthians this morning is the, the next book I'm going to read in my Bible. And every time I get to it, I just think of America. It is literally like reading about America today. It's unbelievable. But nonetheless, that's, I digress. The point is, we've been given everything, but we receive so little. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that 
You are not lacking in any gift. We receive everything. Everything we possibly could need. And we receive so little. You are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we've been given everything, but we receive so little. God graces us out, and we disrespect His will for us. Jesus personally chooses us as friends, and we betray Him with friendship with the world. With people that, and I'm thinking about people right now in this congregation that aren't even here, that should be. We betray Jesus Christ with people that, at most, feign a relationship with Christ. At most, say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Can we just get on with our relationship now because I have plans for you? They don't really care about Jesus Christ. If they cared about Jesus Christ, they wouldn't be treating you that way. And if you did, you wouldn't be treating them that way, frankly. We betray Jesus, our best friend, with friendship with the world, with people that, at most, feign a relationship with Christ. If what we read earlier is a practical examination of the fear of the Lord then our lives, if we're honest, are too often a testimony against it. One of the most interesting things of all is that our own decisions are self-propelling in the wrong direction. They fire us in the wrong direction. Our own decisions are like, you know, almost like a rubber band, and we're in, you know, we're in the crux of that thing, and we, we draw it back ourselves, and we shoot ourselves out of the sphere of all that is good. We, we shoot ourselves. All I can think about is like a vector. Just, yeah, I'm just going to aim this thing, not towards the center where Christ is, but away from Him. I'm going to turn the whole apparatus around. I'm going to shoot myself in the wrong direction. That's what bad decisions are, basically, right? God's not the author of that. You are. So one of the most interesting things is that our own decisions are self-propelling in the wrong direction. What I mean to say is that we knowingly, we knowingly make poor decisions that lead to misery, that lead to more poor decisions, that lead to increased misery, and so on. We pray to God about, you know, alleviating our fears because now we're afraid. Because, you know, when you're out there, remember, when you're out there, you're kind of by yourself. You say, I'm going to take this on myself then. And now fear sits in. And so what do you say? Now we turn around, we draw upon the faithfulness of God, and we start praying. Can you please alleviate some of this fear? And yet, when He answers us, like He has been from this pulpit as of late, we say, can you give me a few more options? When he says, this is the answer, we say, can you give me a few more options? Are there any other, you know, options? Because I don't really like that one. We are foul creatures. Foul. And I was thinking, when I came on that, I mean, in my notes, it really is a wonder he hasn't smashed us all down to nothing. For that is what we deserve, frankly. How can we pray to the Lord God, our Savior, because we're afraid? It's not like we listen to Him when we receive guidance. How do we keep going back to that well when we refuse the guidance? He says, okay, I'll answer you. Here you go. Now, I, don't want, I, I want more options. The better question is to be asking why are we afraid in the first place? Especially given what Holy Scripture has to say on the subject. Go to 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18. The better question is why? Maybe instead of going, hey God, can you alleviate some of this pain? Can you take away some of this fear? Maybe you go to Him and say, Lord, why am I so afraid? And then here, you ready for this one? Drum roll. 
pay attention. And if he, if he, if he answers you, obey. Don't act like you didn't hear him. Because I know for a fact you hear him every time you're in your seat. And I can see, I'm telling you right now, it's awful. It's awful. Some of your eyes glaze over. Some, all right, this is going to, I want to see a bunch of people uncross their arms. A lot of people do this number. Right, everybody's like, nope, not me. Too late. Here's what the Bible tells us. Why? Look at 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. Think of those as two separate spheres. There's the sphere of love where God is, and there's the sphere of fear outside of that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Fear is indicative of abiding in the wrong sphere up here on the board. There is no fear in love. Do not let sin deceive you into believing in the boogeyman. Such lies are based on hatred. Focus on love and be delivered. Whatever the boogeyman is, we talked about this on Thursday evening, whether it's your neighbor or financial stress or, you know, whatever. Whatever that lust is that produces some fear of something that can't be victorious over God. Whatever that boogeyman is, I don't know. Don't let sin deceive you into believing into that thing, that boogeyman. Such lies are based on hatred. Remember, Satan, the kingdom of darkness, they hate God. So those lies are based on hatred. The things that rip your eyes off of Christ, the things that rob you, the things that make you believe in the boogeyman, they're all based on hatred. Focus on love and be delivered. Sin cannot function in love because it is wholly devoid of it. Sin can only function in the opposite of love, namely hatred. Dwell on that. So... Let us not depart from this incredible series without our minds being tethered to the fear of the Lord. And so here we are, my friends. Once again, this is it. The final slide in our series. We might just actually finish if you give me some extra time. Sin lies to us. It is a liar. It mixes truth with lies for the purpose of deceiving us into thinking and doing things antagonistic to the will of God. We mustn't think of sin as merely a result, but also a magnetic force, an influencer, a deceiver. We covered a little ground on Thursday up here on the board. Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire, that's that word, teshuka, its desire is for you, but you must master it. We are born under this curse. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin, or in sin, my mother conceived me. So we were born this way. We know that sin gets excited about the prospect of wrestling with righteousness. Romans 7, 8 up here on the board. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. So we know that this is the nature of sin. It actually gets excited when given a command. That is the nature of Teshuka. Teshuka would be that person, if it was personified here and now, that would say, you will never get the best of me. I will always dominate you. You will never dominate me. I will do everything in my power to dominate you. If that means you have to kill me, then you're going to have to kill me because I will never give up. I will dominate you. That's the nature of Teshuka. Not really a good friend, huh? This is where we ended on Thursday. So again, we have this on the board. Sin lies to us. It is a liar. Go to, uh, we got one more um, passage, and then this is literally the end. I just want to finish. There's a reference there to James 1.15, but I want you to go to, James 1 1 with me. Go to James 1 1 and we'll close it out. This is it. Can you believe it? Where's Joey? Joey's not here. <laughs> He's traveling. 
James 1.1 James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Now think of this. Think of all we've learned in the last 70-something messages on the deceitfulness of sin. And let this kind of put a little wrapper on it as we emerge finally from this deep dive. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And here's our reference point, verse 15. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it... Hold on a second. Jump forward on me. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religious religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's it. Sin lies to us, my friends. It is a liar. It mixes truth with lies for the purpose of deceiving us into thinking and doing things antagonistic to the will of God. We mustn't think of sin as merely a result, but also a magnetic force, an influencer, and a deceiver. So as Porky Pig would say, that's all, folks. I should have put the little thing up there, the Looney Tunes. Remember that? That's the end of our, of our uh, series. So, amen? All right, let's see. I'm excited. We'll see where 
the Spirit takes us next as a congregation. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for guiding us along this incredible journey. Thank you for revealing to us the nature of sin, particularly the deceitfulness of it in our lives. Thank you for always making it practical to our lives so that we don't become aloof and somehow think we're immune to its effects. Father, thank you for always keeping things real. We're just so very grateful for your patience and most of all, of course, your mercy, your grace, and your love. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and then also out to a world that seems to be running away from your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.